0: Podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well at Matt Stocks DJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live QA dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. let's hit the ground running because time is short um of the essence. i'm at the historic shepherd's bush empire i'm here with dennis uh from refuse they're playing here tonight with thrice um i want to ask you about the damn show at the london palladium the other night first <laughs> yes, of all please. i saw a picture of you there am i right in thinking that you have a friendship with dave no no but
1: i wish i had he's a cool cat right he seems like a cool cat yeah they're one of my favorite bands like uh also one of my favorite bands because I feel like the, the kinship with the, with the band that started out one way and ended up somewhere else and like it, it's all been solid so it was a great night. We did, a, did like one of those secret like Cape Pit session shows at blondies, at blondies yeah. so i used
0: to live in a flat directly behind that bar that and i remember awesome. the the girl was that the blondie the girl yeah. there yeah, yeah, yeah. she opened it and she was like i've got all these big plans for this place and i was like because the street that it's on is pretty rough and ready yeah and i think in the last two years she's just taken this yeah. idea and it's morphed into this beautiful thing it was
1: it was great so so we did that show and then then i rushed off and i saw the second
0: that's what i'm gonna do i'm just spinning around like that all right there the
1: second go. the second half of that uh night of a thousand vampires shindig and then we went to an after party and i got introduced and because we're on the same management uh as the power dammed, yeah yeah so i got introduced and we took a photo and he i mean it was people you know how it is like people were surrounding him i'm like i'm not gonna yeah 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 but yeah they're one they're a great band and i thought the show was great and his singing was so on point made me quite jealous
0: and he shaved his hair off in the middle right in the he interval did, yeah i that's, mean that's, that's true method acting at yeah, it's fine and his hair's so good as well yeah, so that's yeah. That's commitment it's a risky to the art. Business. <laughs> <laughs> was the British punk um, scene, if you want to call it that, were those bands like Say the Dam, The Sex Pistols, The Clash, were they important to you growing up or were you more influenced earlier on by the West Coast and East Coast American hardcore stuff?
1: Definitely more the American hardcore. I mean, I I, I remember I I, I would exploit the Troops of Tomorrow was one of the first records I got, like the punk record. But then I, I got really way more into like minor threat and dead kennedys and black flag and bad brains and that stuff like that. And I actually remember like when I was like you know 16, hearing like Sex Pistols, I'm like, oh, this is just slow. Mm-hmm. But um,
0: I guess if you've grown up on a diet of minor threat and dead yeah, kennedys, it's yeah, gonna exactly. seem just like rock and roll, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah. But then you know like your taste evolves and you grow. And I mean, I'm I've been very in love with with the UK. Like seventies punk for 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 a very long time, but when I was a young kid in my formative years, I think that American hardcore was definitely, I mean, you know, that was definitely something that appealed to me way more. But then, you know, a lot of the the was that the
0: sound? Was it the message? Was it a bit of both? It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, like when you're a young person, you're impressionable, so a lot of the stuff. I mean, you know, I got into Youth of Today, and then I all of a sudden I'm like a straight edge kid because you know that whole thing. So. It, it, it was all of it combined, and same thing with the Dead Kennedys. I mean, their music was amazing, but then, you know, you had the booklet with all the politics and the lyrics, and I'm just like, this is too much. It's like mind blown, and you know. And then, as I said, later I got into, uh, you know, the Damned and the Pistols and again, the Clash, and a huge band for me in my life. But it's the formative years was more New York hardcore and. DC hardcore and heavier, <laughs> you know? shorter, yeah, 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 faster. I would say that the first thing I got into as far as hardcore was actually more of the because I was a metalhead, I was a total. So, metalhead. It was thrash big for you. So, thrash was huge for me, right? Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica Slayer, Voivod, you know, that whole mm-hmm. thing was huge for me, but I wasn't really a player couldn't really play so so when I discovered like the crossover thing with like Crumb suckers agnostic front and DRI that was that was huge and then you know into like youth of today and negative approach and all that stuff. So, yeah.
0: what about punk as a you know perhaps like a, a set of beliefs as uh you know a kind of an ideological framework from which to launch not just a creative path but also you know your personal life how important was was punk as a thing to you as a kid
1: It's. I mean, when it happened, it was probably it is to this day probably the most important thing that happened in my life. Like how it affected everything that I am and everything that I I thought I knew about the world. So it was it was a massively, massively important thing. And and it's one of those deals. Like it's hard to underestimate. Like here comes the booze. Yep. (laughs) Hard to (laughs) underestimate the you know the importance of something like that. Because you know like when when you're a young person, there's a just the trajectory of your life and where you're supposed to go, and then it changed everything. And I mean, for me, it was like uh, I always thought thought of punk as this idea that anything is possible. But yeah, it changed everything—the way I talk, the way I dress, everything—it was changed because of punk music.
0: And what about your childhood? Were you like someone who got on well at school? Were you a sociable kid? Were you a happy kid?
1: Nah, I mean, I was. I think I was for the most time quite a happy kid yeah but i was definitely a bit of a loner and i definitely did not get along with people in my school i mean from an early age i was a bit of a, a an outsider so i think also that's why first metal and then punk appealed to me because like it, it was like outside culture like like a re- rebel culture uh, and i think punk for me defined a lot of my my sense of alienation to the world and then when i became a punk i was a bit of a an asshole <laughs> I was that guy, and you know that that went full mohawk and like came to class and like fuck you, you know. Like I was that guy for a little bit because
0: went full nihilist.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But I, but I think a lot of it had to do with just uh, the perception of yourself as an outsider, perception of yourself as like this misfit, and then discovering a music that embraced that whole identity. I was like, oh, I'm gonna embrace the fact that I feel like an outsider and really kind of go for it and be like. You know, I thought I was smarter and better than everyone else because I discovered this music. And then, I, it, yeah, I let the world around me know it for a while. <laughs> well, who
0: were the, the thinkers that really switched you on to, you know, a lot of the themes and the ideas which have defined your creative body of work, you know, in the the kind of stance that you've taken towards issues like feminism and yeah. capitalism and things like this? Was it just music or was there also like, you know political thinkers and authors and and other writers
1: i mean for sure a lot of it i mean i it it all started with music it all started with the idea that music was sort of a platform where you could you know speak out or say say if you had something to say music was a great platform but i mean i think the first thing I, i i read was a noam chomsky book about like like you know uh, the imperialism of capitalism, you know, and I was like, wow, this is insane how everything ties in together. So Chomsky was like the first for me that kind of opened my eyes to a bigger political picture. But early on when we were punks, we were hanging out with the anarchists, like the anarchist youth group in towns. So I was hanging out with them, but it wasn't so educational. It was more more a nihilistic thing, actually. But then, so Chomsky was the first thing that really got me into reading about politics. And then I went through all the all the thinkers from I mean, I've studied Marx, I've Bakunin, Kropotkin, all the anarchist writers, Emma Goldman, and 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 went all the way to to like the Situationist movement in France with Guy Debord and Rod Van Agen, and and uh, you know, I've read it all. I'm like one of those kids that like I didn't have much of an education, and I kind of dropped out of school. So when I discovered politics, I really I made an effort to learn as much as possible about it. So I I, I had a couple of years in the, in the mid to late 90s early 2000s where I actually studied political science at home and political theory where I had like stacks of like political thinkers by the uh, by the edge of my bed and I was reading every day for at least 2 hours every day just just these political thinkers and and you know you read everything from Foucault to you know
0: I did a lot of Foucault at yeah. university yeah. yeah
1: and I did that voluntarily by myself yeah, because yeah, I yeah. wanted to learn about these things so um it was an interesting journey but that was a bit later I mean at first and I think that's a cool thing about punk. At first it was very um it's like a gut reaction to the world. And and purely
0: visceral and emotional. Pure and visceral, and, yeah.
1: purely emotional, purely like, you know, there's something wrong. And you kinda like and you speak out kind of uninformed, but like like But passionate. Passionate yeah. and very very honest. Uh, and then I I one of the things that, that struck me was like I'm doing all these interviews. I mean, this is way before social media, which is fantastic because uh, nowadays people can't really do that. They'll get called out by leftist people who think they're better than right-wing people that think you're wrong. You know, like so. So you can kind of go through these phases where you try out these political ideas in on stage or in. Well, interviews. they have
0: to change over time, right? Yeah. If you're just stagnant in one belief system forever, then you're closed yeah. off, aren't oh, you? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. That that's. But 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 I, I, one of the things that happened to me was that I was doing interviews. I was talking to people. And then once in a while, someone came up to me and they actually challenged me for real. And I was like, whoa, and, and I, there was a lot of things that I didn't have answers to because it, it was all emotional, you know. So then I actually I actually started studying and I was like, if I'm going to be this, this guy that, you know, going to d- devote my life to talk about politics, I have to actually know what I'm talking about. And I studied it, I've studied hard, and, and I mean... Still to this day, I, I read a lot of uh, political theory. I read a lot about what go, what, what's going on in the world, so that you can, when people challenge you, you have an answer and you have an idea what you're actually talking about in 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 depth. You know, not just like a, a slogan. I mean, yes, a lot yeah, of yeah, is yeah. a lot of our music is very sloganry, very very like, you know, uh, something for people to sing along to. But then behind the sloganry, there's been hours and hours and hours of discussion about these topics, and hours and hours of like rewriting lyrics so they they can fit the sort of little verse chorus verse uh, mm-hmm. uh you know trajectory <laughs>
0: i think what's always been so fascinating about refused as a band as well is the music has very much been an embodiment of this radical thought that you know is contained within the lyrics mm. and the two serve each other yeah um what was the reaction when you guys started going off the cliff and experimenting from within the scene because traditionally and I don't want to bad mouth anyone listening to this but I know and you probably do too from experience better than anyone that punk hardcore these scenes can be quite closed-minded sometimes when it comes to thinking outside the box and doing things yeah. differently to the uh you know the accepted way
1: for sure and I think that that's one of the things that I think we felt going into it we refused that that it was like like a clean slate you can try anything but when we did shape of punk to come uh, a lot of the people in the scene didn't like it a lot of the people in the scene thought we we're a bunch of pretentious fucks which is of course true you know we were we're very like highbrow and we're very like okay we're like intellectuals like in a kind of an assholeish way but we made this music that that we felt like oh this is this is really good this is different we're trying out new things and a lot of the people in the hardcore scene were just like that oh, fuck these guys and so when we broke up in 98, we we had a sense of like, yeah, that didn't really go well. Like that, that record kind of flopped. And then here we are like, you know, like whatever, 21 years later and people are still, you know, we're, we're talking about it with our management. Like, oh, no, no, the shape of punk stuff still sells the most. I'm like, oh, that's so crazy. Because when it came out, like a lot of hardcore kids didn't like it. A lot of hardcore kids were like, this is too weird. It's too pretentious. It's too political. It's, you know, whatever. And then, uh, you know, we broke up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah right pretty much straight after the release of the album right well, no it wasn't no, long
1: we actually the, the european release of the record was in february so we toured the record for six months but we, we broke up like a week before the u.s release right. so it's like it's one of those deals where it's like we're touring the states and we break up and then the record comes out and it takes off and we're just like oh we're, we're sitting at home being like what 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 the hell's going on with this record you know it's just going places and uh it was the weird, world we, finally we, caught up. Yeah, but we did, <laughs> we did six months of touring. We did like two Scandinavian tours. We did two European tours. did a bunch of festivals. So we, we were like, we were working on the record and we are not getting any response. Like people were just like, yeah, whatever. Like we like their last record better. And you know, like we're coming back to cities and it's not that great. And I remember like the, the first, uh, the, the, the tour premiere of that whole album cycle, yeah, there's no one there and like the, we had like backing tracks but on an adat right and it kept fucking up and we weren't like we hadn't practiced because you That's, hadn't practiced it live yeah and it was it was a horrible thing i remember like oh this is gonna be rough you know like
0: <laughs> well it's such an ambitious record that it must have been pretty hard you know when you're just right there after the release of it trying to replicate that stuff live
1: yeah was
0: it was it a miserable experience touring that album yeah it was it was
1: but it wasn't so much i mean one of the aspects was that that i think that we didn't felt we felt that we were not prepared enough but then i mean listening back to to live stuff from from 98 it sounds pretty awesome like there's some some small glitches here and there but it sounds pretty awesome but but the, the the experience was was miserable because we we didn't like each other At that point, like we didn't get along. And and as I said, the crowd started getting smaller and smaller. And we're like, you know, we're playing this very ambitious record, Mm -hmm. these very ambitious songs. And like 20 people show up and you're like, oh, this is... disheartening, right? Yeah, this is not what we hoped it would be. So it was... And, and, you know, as I said, we weren't getting along. Like everybody was kind of burnt out on touring. We were burnt out on each other. And I think everybody wanted something different with music. Uh, So, yeah, it wasn't a great time. Looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, there's some fun incidents and, and you know, we try to make the most of it but it was, those six months when the record was out and we were touring it's just, yeah, not great.
0: And when it ends, does it end badly?
1: Yeah, hey, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so you think at that time, presumably, not only is the band over but your friendships with each other oh, yeah, are yeah, probably yeah, 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 yeah. a thing of the past too.
1: Yeah. We didn't talk for a long time. Like, we broke up, uh, I mean, me and David started the band and, and we broke up and I think it was two years before we actually sat down and talked after we broke up because it was like bad blood, you know like it wasn't it wasn't good. And then we sat down and talked to and like oh wait we like each other and then you know that kind of faded away and then it took us another like six, seven years and then we could actually start making fun of who we were back then mm-hmm. and, and then now it's like that's like a, a, a complete laughing matter. He's always like, oh, do you remember that show when you said it? And everyone's like, oh, that's insane. You know? So <laughs> now it's like you, know, you, you have a distance to you can joke about and you can actually make fun of the, of the jackass that you were. You know?
0: I guess that comes with being mature and older and wiser as well, right? And hopefully growing yeah. and learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, was there a period of time where you just didn't want any association with the band name or the music that you made? Did you feel like it was hard to come to terms and be at peace? <laughs> with the legacy of the band yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean i mean especially like i mean i started noise conspiracy a week after refuse broke up and we started playing and we started you know writing music and and i was so disheartened by the whole experience and i felt very much like okay so we're gonna start a band that's not a part of a scene we're gonna do something completely like our own thing and not just not fall in with like oh we're a hardcore band or whatever and um we start touring and and people are just like I love Refused. Every night people are you can't like, escape that it. That was a good show. I love Refused. And you're like, oh man. So for a long time it was it was quite annoying that that um, that we we couldn't escape it really. But then you know after a while you're like, I guess it's you know I guess it's fine. I guess it's like you soften a little bit and then you can actually look at the record and be like. It's a pretty good record, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you kind of let to that sink in, and you're like, "Oh, you know, I can I can live with this." So, but it took a while. It took a while to really, you know, get get to that place where where we were fine with it. You know,
0: I want to ask you this: uh, What's the seed for the you know the reformation? Because assumedly, you sort of walked away from that forever, and yeah. and, you, and you were so busy during those years and doing such great stuff. One of my favorite things actually about watching Against Me. Live for many years was watching Inge just jump all over the he's dd ramon isn't he like he I is know, the offspring yeah, yeah. of dd ramon so you do all this great stuff and then assumedly you're happy and you're content yeah in your life and everything yeah. so what's the the draw to to well, sit back down together as a group and
1: there's a lot of stuff that went down that that just kind of made that possible when i mean where someone uh, asked about that yesterday we we're just in the bus and like one of our crew people and we we're like well there's so many little things that kind of leads you to a place and one of the big little things was that we're all living in the same city. When we broke up, we were scattered all over the world, doing different things and getting into different projects. And 2011, all of a sudden, everyone lives in in the same hometown, uh, in the same town. Um, Me and David had a hardcore band called AC4 together. Yep. Great band. Yeah, it was great. It's fun. And then Chris and David and Magnus had like a project. And so we're all moving in the same circles. And 2012 was a year when no one had much going on and then we got the offer from Coachella and we're kind of playing music, you know, so it's all these little things and then all of a sudden you're there, you know, like, yeah. oh, maybe we should do this and uh, it happened, yeah.
0: How were those first, world well, rehearsals, first of all, did the old feelings come back fairly quick?
1: No, it was horrible. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not <laughs> like it was just, we were very, out of shape and I started screaming I lost my voice in like ten minutes. I was like, ah this is gonna be horrible. But then you know, you do a couple more rehearsals and then it was fine. This is a lot of drumming going this on. This is a
0: lot of drumming in yeah. there. Let me have one check and see if it carries through into the room.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah. oh.
0: We're locked out that way anyway.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Robert. What? We'll roll then. All right.
0: It doesn't make it inaudible. It's just
1: not ideal. It's just gau- gouge away, gouching away in the background. Punk rock podcasting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first show, where was that? The first show was in Umeo at a really small place that holds maybe, say, 200, 200 people, maybe. We had a guest list of 200 people of course. for that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there, was a, there was a line outside of 500 people who wanted to get in. It's wild. Uh, it was fun. One of the things about, about like getting together, like the the pay day from Coachella was pretty good, yeah. And and it it enabled us to like to take months off. And I mean, we practiced um, for three months, five days a week, nine to five, just to get in shape because we knew also the the unreasonable expectations that people had because most people never seen us live. So everyone's like, oh, we're expecting, you know. A certain thing from you
0: well you've been mythologized to high heaven yeah, exactly right at this and, point.
1: and it's 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 tricky to, to to combat your that myth of who you are people are oh, your legends i'm like ah that's that's a lot to put on a person you know but it was it it gave us the the chance to sort of like really uh, do our homework and really kind of dig in and be like what what kind of band are we how and i mean one of the things too we had to change the whole being a a DIY hardcore band that played in basement and coffee shops and record stores and squads to play Coachella. yeah, Like how do you make that transition without making the transition physically first? Because the last show we played was in Harrisburg, Virginia in front of 45 people. And okay, next time we're gonna play Coachella. So like we had to figure out a way where this music could work at that level yeah yeah so and the stage lot. show yeah as well, at right? a stage show like how do we move i mean for me it was fine because i did noise conspiracy and we played coachella and you know so but it was a lot of work to sort of figure out to maneuver this thing into a place where we felt we were comfortable enough to do keep doing this you know
0: did you feel like you'd grown as a performer and a vocalist in those intermittent years working on all these other projects as well did you feel like right now i've risen to the task and i can do this band the justice that it deserves yes very much so yeah
1: and i think that was a thing like like when we started refused there was a decent singer but david was it extraordinary drummer like like chris when he got into the band it's such a good guitar player so there's like a level of of musicianship that i felt um for a long time i felt inadequate to that i'm like yeah i'm an all right singer but i was a great front man so like i could kind of go crazy and then they would they would cut me some slack that i was not always on pitch and you know like but then in those years like it's 14 years of me constantly touring like i came and i was like okay we're on the level now like i'm a way better singer than that used to be so that gave me a lot of confidence to, to to believe in the fact that we could could actually do this for real you know
0: and then when do you start writing new material for what would become freedom is that fairly soon after getting back together and in those no, in the initial running well, shows or
1: not really no i mean the idea was just to do a couple of shows that it was. was like yeah it was and like, then go back
0: you, to your day jobs yeah
1: and, yeah good go back to doing whatever i was yeah, doing yeah. invasion i just started invasion so that was kind of my focus i'm like i'm gonna go back and do that but then halfway into 2012 people were like maybe we should do more of this and i'm like oh maybe and then then you know chris and, and they asked me like once like we got we got some ideas for new songs because they're doing a project that was like didn't sound like refuse but there's a similarity in the sort of uh there's like a proggy metal thing mm-hmm. electra is actually a song that they wrote for another project that we switched around and made oh, okay. something different you know right right so they had some riffs and um and they were like, "How do you feel about making new refuse music?" And it took me completely by surprise because I was like, "Oh, 2012—that's a refuse here, And then you know, I'll go back to doing whatever, play with Invasion in front of 50 people, it'd be fine. But then they asked me, and they played me a, a demo version of Electra, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a good riff." I'm like, "That's yeah." So we did the whole 2012 thing. We took a couple of weeks, months off, and then we started writing, and then and it became fairly like an intense writing process for that record. And we, we kept it a secret. Like we, when we did the last show of 2012, I was like, oh, it's over. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we knew like, no, we're not, it's not over. But but we had to kind of like do a little bit of the, you know, switch and bait so that people would leave us alone. Throw but, them off the scent. A little That's bit, it. yeah. Because it would be one of those things where people would be like, oh, and you refused your record, you should do this. You should, I mean, we, a lot of our friends, we didn't tell a lot of our friends even. Like, we, we practiced and we were writing for, for a couple of months before I even told the people Invasion. I'm like, I'm doing a new refuse record. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're, we've been secretly practicing, you know? So uh, just, just to be like, um, not interfered with other people's opinion.
0: Keeping it pure.
1: Yeah, keeping it pure. You know.
0: What a trip. I can't imagine there's many bands in the history of music that have been separated for that long and then have reconvened and created again after such an yeah. extended period well, of time. Well, I think
1: it happens. A lot of bands kind of break up for 10 years, get back together. But it, but I mean, for us, the weird thing was that the band we were, we broke up, and the band we were, when we got back together, were took completely different bands. Yep. I mean, you, know, you see all these documentaries about bands of, of their... I mean, we, we're not that big of a band, but like the, the, the rise of the band, like how they get more and more popular, that happened to us without anyone in the band being involved. Yeah. You know, so it was like a weird thing where we're like, you could see our band taking off. You could see like, like it, it was creating its own legacy, and we were not on that ride. So I think that's what sets us apart from a, from a whole lot of other bands that were like, when we got back together, we were on a completely different level. And we're like, okay, so where do we go from now? Like, like, how do we reconcile with the fact that we're not the band that we were 14, 15 years ago, but we're something completely different? And how do you work with that? I mean, and Freedom was us trying to figure that out. Like, how do we, where do we go with this music? And where do we go with these ideas? And then, so Freedom was, that That was all the whole process of trying to figure out our identity as a band, you know?
0: What was it like from a personal point of view, like with your brothers in that format creating and <laughs> catching up in this way that you know is i uh, mean it, only music allows
1: yeah it was a it was a freedom was an intense experience we practiced a lot it was really um it was difficult because there was a lot of pressure especially from ourselves it's like one of those deals like like we and i mean i think also we knew early on that it was like one of those deals where i think we could we could Pass like gold flakes to people, and they'll still be like, "It's not the shape of punk to come." Because, because when you have a record that you live with for that long, it does. I mean, we can create a record that's ten times better, and people will still not have that emotional connect to it. Well, so that's we,
0: half of music, isn't it, it?
1: It is. And we were talking about that today, and Chris said we can't fucking recreate people's childhood for them. Yeah. So when that is magic, that's that is magic, and that is the magic. Someone came up to me last night. And they were like. I was 13 years old, I was into corn and Limp biscuit. I heard *Refused* New it blew my mind. I'm like, I mean, no matter how, how good the music we create is gonna be, we're never gonna blow that guy's mind again in that way. And especially when you live with the record for like 15, 16 years, and I'm like, here's some new music, you know? And um, so it was, a, it was a tough process. I think that record is great. I think it has a couple of really cool songs on it. I think it's a bold and daring record. I understand that it's not the record that a lot of people were expecting us to put out, but that's also part of the process of being an artist. Like you have to be like, what do we need to do to move on? And then now with war music, I think this makes complete sense. You know, this is like, this is us without freedom, there wouldn't be war music. So this is us like trying to find like we did freedom and like, okay, this is, oh, this makes sense. And then, you know, here we are. And,
0: If not, is should be a reaction to the last and a reaction to the now. Yes. And what's it's Hegel going on for you?
1: Hegelian dialectics, as I've studied. <laughs> and
0: uh, the recording process of this one, how did that differ from, from Freedom? Okay. What made this record's kind of creation unique?
1: Well, Freedom, we went to LA. We recorded with a guy called Nick Lone. It's an amazing character. He did like the last. Six Nick Cave records, seven Nick Cave records, wow. and he worked with the Yeah Yeahs, and he did the new, He's doing the new Idols record and Anna Calvi, you know. So we went with him, and and we went to L.A. and we rented a house and we were in L.A. for six weeks. Like really, we practiced so much before we came to L.A. And this record, we we went to uh, a studio uh, on the and on on an island in Sweden, and then we recorded in five different studios outside of Stockholm in Stockholm with friends. David and Chris produced the record. A lot of it, we didn't practice a lot. It was a lot of it like demos, but trying to capture like the rawness of, of like how we want this to sound live. So it was a completely different process. And um, this record took a very long time to to create because it was like a patchwork. It was like, we'll have a weekend here. We'll do some, you know, we'll do some vocals over that weekend. I'll come down to Stockholm for a day. We do some stuff. And then so it's a very different sort of more... Um, very much like a, a homegrown type of record because it, it sounds like a homecoming yeah experiment yeah. And, as that, well. and that's what it feels like it feels like one of those things where we're like we we really did this ourselves all the people that worked on the record are friends of ours people that we know in forever that we just like do you want to record some vocals well, yeah i'll record some vocals you know so it's very in that unassuming and unpretentious but really uh aiming high at the same time so yeah it's a very different process than going to la and working with a big producer and you know doing that whole thing so it's was
0: cool. it fun to do that though because presumably you wouldn't have got to do that with refused at least last time around
1: no it, not at all but yeah i like that process i like i mean I'm, I'm i've done a couple i mean i did some records with rick rubin i was going to ask you next about Noah's working conspiracy. with him yeah, yeah, so, yeah so it's like i've i've done a couple of those things and i find it interesting because it's a very different process from a lot of records you do you do it yourself it's a very kind of internal affair and I like it when someone comes from the outside and be like, "Oh, this is how we should tweak it." But you know, like, it is one of those things you have to balance it out because at the end of the day, no one knows refused better than refused. So how do you, you know? So it's very different things. But I enjoyed working with Nick Lonnie. We're very good friends still, and we're very like I. I really liked him. Maybe not the best fit for our band, but that's that's something you learn, you know. Like you try something, you're like, yeah, it was it was fine, you know. I think the record sounds great, so actually, it sounds it sounds great.
0: What what about Rick Rubin? Tell me about that guy. What he brings to the <laughs> the Rick, equation?
1: Yeah, Rick Rubin was the guy that uh, taught me how to sing. He was very he punished me quite a lot on the singing front. That's
0: interesting because I've heard yeah. from a lot of people that he's not a hands-on producer. singing
1: well. We did two records with Rick. First one, Arm Love. Um, he was super hands-on. He was in the studio every day. I did six weeks of vocals with him. Six weeks, just vocals. Every day, me just me and him and an engineer. Some days we did vocals for seven hours. Some days, some days we did vocals for 20 minutes. And he's like, oh, you sound tired. Just go home. And he was very particular about how he wanted me to sing. And... Uh, I came out of that process uh, 10 times better singer and then the next time we came back he showed up once in a while he left some notes and he was like, oh it's fine
0: because <laughs> he felt I guess like he'd got you to a place
1: yeah yeah and I mean it's well, he it, could it, leave it, you it, unsupervised exactly as it were. And, and also he the people he surrounds himself with are engineers that they know I mean we' were doing overdubs and someone's like oh well, we'll do this and he, the engineer just looked at us said, no Rick's not going to like that we're like all right let's not do that so but uh yeah it was a very different he was not hands on at all the second time the first time he was super hands on but i mean he as i said like that experience of of being in in sound city with like the best engineer the best producer like it is it's something you'll remember for the rest of your life you know it was is a truly amazing experience i wish those records would have done better but that's that's a part of life too you know like it, it happened and I learned so much from those records and and learned so much from that experience that it's, it's amazing. You know,
0: do you remain optimistic Dennis about the future of our world to segue gently into that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on most days, yes, I do. I think that, um, there, there's, there's a power in us that, that, that can transcend the, the mundane madness of, what goes on around us i mean to a certain extent the world looks kind of fucked but i still believe in in i still believe in us i still believe that people can do good i still i still believe that people want to do good um so yeah it, without that uh, without that feeling it would be impossible to get up on stage I and mean, when i talk about like radical ideas or, or radical change and so on so I have to believe, but then yeah, some days you're like, oh, this is it's too much. You know, mm. There's too much going on, but that, that I guess that's a, that's a part of uh, what's happening. I mean, with what's going on now with the whole environmental movement and Greta Thunberg, it's amazing. It's such an inspiration. She's, she's
0: like, like a modern day Martin Luther King or something, isn't she? Yeah, she feels she, like that kind yeah, of figure in yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah, she's
1: amazing. So that gives you that gives you hope. That gives you inspiration. That you know, look at young kids and you're like. If young kids can do that, like then then maybe the world will become a better place. I mean, just look. I saw some. Are you a parent? No, I'm no. not. I I have a partner that very much wants me to be a parent, so um, you know. <laughs> perhaps. I mean, perhaps it will it's happen In, in soon. the cards, yeah. But um, I I mean the same thing. I saw like a uh, uh, an electoral map of America, and I was like, I think there were three states that were Republican. If if young kids get to vote, so there's there's definitely. I mean, there's a the generation of. Um, which which rich white privileged men um, they are dying out which is a good thing so I think I think I'm quite if, if the planet in itself can survive I think there is there is hope for the future
0: I think uh, it's almost like the mo I mean I guess every period in time that happens the people living through it feel that way but I feel like yeah. this moment in time is as well as being the most terrifying, also the most exciting and significant yeah. period of potential change or catastrophe, Yeah, right? Sure. Like everything feels perhaps more vital now than ever before, not just in terms of environmentalism, but politics as well. Yeah, and,
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, it's never, I don't think the world has ever been this divided. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, of course, a tool to keep people sort of uh, at each other's throat and instead of seeing kind of the real problems and seeing what, what the real issues are. We made huge strides in, in feminists, huge strides in environmental thinking. I mean, I've been vegan for 26 years. It's the best time of my life to be vegan. <laughs> How easy is it to be a vegan now? It's so easy. <laughs> even it's not on tour? Even, it's not even a challenge anymore. So, so we, get, we made some great strides. We made some great progress. But then there's other parts where we're actually slipping, and there, it's actually worse. I mean, the, the economical divide is getting... Bigger and bigger again, especially in the West world. I mean, the economic divide is, is shrinking in Southeast Asia a little bit. People are rising out of poverty. But in, in the West, it's actually increasing again. And um, the 1% is like, you know, like it is the reason why they're called the 1%. So there are definitely things that are worse, definitely things that are better. But, but it's, it's also interesting to see where that will lead us, you know?
0: I think technology is a trip. In today's world, because the irony of technology is that it's designed and invented to bring people together and increase yeah. communication, and, and I do hasn't. feel like it's having the opposite. <laughs> right? Do you agree with that? Yeah. Is that the way I you see? With There's that? There's obviously many, many beautiful things that the internet affords us—freedom uh, of information—and yeah. but I do feel like the, the interconnectivity of the human race is, you know, dissipating at a rate that's yeah. quite alarming and scary. There,
1: there, I think the the political discourse uh, has corroded because of the fact that uh, people communicate on on platforms like Twitter and Instagram and the way we communicate there is very black and white yeah black and white completely without depth completely without like any shades of of you know the the complexities of most of these issues and it's also become like a a battleground for especially for the right wing and they're pretty good at it because they have they have no scruples they have plenty of fake accounts and they can attack people over and over again and make it seem like there are way more people who think a certain way than there actually are. So it, it's a tricky thing because it's like, um, it is very divisive and it's very anti-intellectual, I must say. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, discourse
0: it, is almost yeah, discouraged. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you, you, you don't want people to actually uh, have some sort of analysis of the actual political uh, conversation or political situation because the conversation can't hold that. Um so it's 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 a bit weird and it's a bit weird seeing like I mean even on our social media where, where people's uh, critique of our band is and I'm like there's plenty of, of stuff to critique a band for and especially a band like ours but I I feel like almost all of the critique against our band is I'm like that's just that's just uninformed it's not you know proper critique so it's it's a bit weird and it's so as you said it's very black and white and it's very like um I mean I was as I said I was the guy kind of guy that I had a study circle where I studied the Das Kapital with Karl Marx because I wanted to learn about politics. And now people get a lot of their political opinions from um, from Twitter and from like fake news, or or they read the headlines and then yes, that's the that's news, it. you know. Yeah. You know. And
0: um, and it's all very clickbaity, isn't it? Yeah, it's because these sites just want uh, those. Yeah, clicks. exactly.
1: So so it's, it's 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 of course tricky when when there is no real depth of analysis to 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 it, and then. That's also why I, I tend to not um, interact in these conversations because I was like, there's no point in me getting into this because, I mean, if someone has an an an, um, an issue with something that I've said, come up and talk to me. We can, we can hash it out. Yeah. I'm sure we can find some common ground. And it's also, I mean, one of the things I have to admit too is like when you are in a band and when you are an artist performing um our whole agenda is to dial it up to 11 and to be abrasive and to be comfort, yeah. confrontational and provocative because uh, it doesn't make, it does, it's, doesn't make for exciting art to go, well, on the other one hand, but on the other hand, and on the one hand. And that's what live one, debates are for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That, that is, if you sit down like this, you can sort of uh, cover, uh, cover all the areas. But when I got like, 30 seconds on stage to say something about the state of the world. You want world. to get in
0: people's face and make them think, right?
1: Exactly. You can't go, on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, you have to kind of be the asshole about it. And and, and I think that's the same thing with our lyrics. Where They're quite explicit. They're quite like in your face because that's what we need. And also, it, it, one thing that mean David talked a lot about when writing these lyrics is that in a world that's so not radical right now because, I mean, even even the, the 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 left spectrum is is so far to the center that it's not discernible as the left anymore especially yes. in Sweden it's very uh but but our thing has always been like if there wasn't for Malcolm X no one would listen to Martin Luther King so we gladly be Malcolm X yeah and then someone that's a bit more reasonable can a sort of a bit more yeah, center yeah yeah exactly yeah. and i think that's that's fine and that's that's the that is art, you know, that, that's, that's why we have art, to sort of exaggerate and to, to to go across the line and to be provocative, and then you can end up somewhere else. I mean, if you dial it up to 11, maybe we'll end up at 6, we we'll We'd be fine, you know. <laughs>
0: What an exciting time to be in a band like Refused and to be on stage and to be traveling the world. I think, you know, I've done a lot of tours and the beauty for me of being on the road and making a living through touring is you get to see that there isn't actually as much difference as the news would have us believe. You know, from city to city, from country to country, from continent to continent, you break down those barriers. Obviously, you're in the ultimate profession which does that musically, musically. Sorry yeah and you see that human beings are pretty much one and the same right yeah. our wants hopes all, and goals we all, are fairly... we all
1: would just want to get along with our lives and do good and be good i mean that's that's what more people want and then some people are uneducated and some people are uh, uh, miseducated in 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 what they think the problems are and so on but i mean most most people just kind of want to get, want, want to get along with their lives and live lives and have their friends and families and listen to music and you know um, that's just what most people want they're just going to get home with it you know and um as you said we get told that we're so different and there's we can never you know bridge this gap but i think that as i said earlier on i think one of the things that this gap and this divide is here for a reason for to make sure that we can't you know uh if we attack each other we're not going to hold capitalism as an idea accountable because it's hard because capitalism has no center it's just like an, a very abstract sort of notion like a, a, a social construct you know like it's a mathematical sort of equation almost and and for a lot of people it's hard to hold that accountable and and to see that that's a real problem and then like well this guy just came to the country so maybe he should he's the problem and at the end of the day most people just want to live a a, a great life and i think that one of the problems with capitalism as an idea is that it can't provide that for people anymore.
0: i don't think it ever it takes care as you said earlier of those yeah. ones at the top exactly. and it forgets about exactly. everybody else.
1: and i think i don't think capitalism ever really uh, has been able to take care of uh, of people. we in the west has been privileged because we've uh, used the rest of the world as our as our own like uh, resource yeah. uh, exploitation, you know, like so we we've, we've had it pretty good, but then now it's starting to catch up with us as well and and uh you know we're plagued with mental illness we're plagued with we like people feeling a like shit in this world, I think it, it is because we live in an unsustainable system, and that that pushes too much pressure on people people work double jobs it's a city like London you can't afford to live anywhere in the city because it's so fucking expensive and it just puts puts this massive pressure on people to succeed in a in a, in a a game that's stacked against you you know
0: well on that note yes of optimism and triumph and drums drums we will leave it drums. there dude thank you so much thank for you. a really great chat that and uh, next time you're over we'll do one again when we've yep. got a bit more time to play with and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and go all over the place but uh, thank you for the music Thanks for a great talk. Thank and you. And good luck. What's the plans for next year for you guys? Touring, touring, touring. Just touring, touring, touring. touring. touring yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you'll be back in the UK soon no doubt.
1: Uh, yes. Yes we will.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Thank you Dennis.
1: Thank you. Cheers Dave.